Uh, last week we were talking, about, how many of you were here last Wednesday? If you're here last Wednesday, come on, raise your hand. Okay, if you were not here, uh, there is no uh, guilt, shame, or condemnation on you whatsoever. Uh, but we are continuing um, a thought that we began last week on the seven phases of following Jesus. The seven phases of following Jesus. And uh, basically we built this, this thought around the fact that Jesus never intended just to occupy your life. Jesus desired to own your life. Jesus didn't come just to take up this little space in your heart. No, Jesus came so that he could be in you and move in you through the power of his spirit to accomplish his purpose, destiny, and will on this earth. And by owning you, what Jesus would do would empower you because whatever you own, you've got authority in. And so Jesus came so that he would own your life, that he would be the Lord of your life, so that he could empower you to do what he created and designed for you to do. And sometimes we're misled by that thought uh, that we see there in Sunday school and, you know, on your little felt board there and you got the little heart and the little door to the heart and you open up the door to the heart and there Jesus is sitting with somebody having a cup of tea and we think that that's what Christianity is because that's the way that our Sunday school teacher explained it to us when we were six years old, and we thought, oh, wow, well, I'm going to pray a prayer right now, and this Jesus is going to come in and have tea with me every day, and it's going to be wonderful, but Jesus did not come in just to occupy that little bitty place of your heart. Jesus came in to take over your life, and that's what it is to follow Jesus. So last week, we, we started talking about what does this look like, and, and these are seven phases. This is not like step one, step two, step three. These are just seven phases of following Jesus, and we started last week by talking about the cost, the cost of following Jesus. There is a cost, but the great thing about Jesus is there is no hidden cost. I mean, isn't that a bummer when you find out that like there's the hidden cost and the fees and the taxes and this, and they, they said it was going to be this price, but it ends up being another price because all of the hidden fees, there is no hidden fee with Jesus because Jesus said you have to give up everything you own. No hidden costs. It all belongs to him. And that's why following Jesus is more than a decision. It's a death. That's the cost of following Jesus, that you come to the end of yourself, the end of your opinion, the end of your way, the end of your will, the end of your pleasure. You come to the end of yourself, and at the end of yourself is the beginning of the new life that Jesus wants you to live. That's the cost. There's no hidden cost in there. Jesus made it very plain and very simple. And then last week we talked about the second phase uh, is the courage, the courage. Um, and, and we talked uh, about the courage of, of, uh, of James and John and the courage of Peter and Andrew when they walked away from their nets, when they walked away from the family fishing business in order to go and follow Jesus. We talked about Matthew, the tax collector, uh, somebody who would have not been in good standing with uh, his peers, his other uh, Israelite Hebrew uh, peers, uh, because he had kind of partnered with the Romans and taking their money. And so it would not, it it would not have been a, a good relationship there, but yet Jesus stops and he looks at Matthew and says, hey, I want you to come and follow me. And we talked about the courage that it must have taken Matthew to walk around the tax collector's booth and to begin to move towards Jesus, not because it was Jesus, but because all those other dudes standing behind him. 
He knew there was love in Jesus' eyes, but there might have been some sideways looks out of the guys behind Jesus. And so there took courage for Matthew to step out and begin to follow Jesus. But as we mentioned last week, it's not just the courage to walk out. It's also the courage to walk in. It's the courage to walk out of your old life, but it's also the courage to walk into the new life that he created you. It's the courage to walk into what he has called you to. And in the, in the Old Testament, we see as the Israelites come out of bondage in Egypt and they were slaves for 400 years, they had the courage to come out and they got into the wilderness, but they did not have the courage to go in because whenever the scouts went in, they said, man, there's giants in the land and there's fortified cities and they got a lot of weapons. And they said, man, we look like grasshoppers in their sight. There's no way we can do that. And so the place that God intended for them to walk into, they never got. Courage to walk out, but not courage to go in. Can I tell you, God didn't deliver you from your old life just so you could be free. God delivered you from your old life so you could step into the calling and the destiny and the purpose that he has for your life. But that was last week. Let's talk about the third phase. The third phase of following Jesus, and it's the construction the construction. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is giving what is the uh, probably the most famous uh, portion of scripture that, that is attached to Jesus. It's his longest sermon recorded in the Bible. We call it the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus was on a mountain when he gave the sermon. So what an appropriate title, Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You see, Jesus takes this this beautiful portion of scripture and he begins to show us what our lives should look like, what we should all be aspiring to. And he, he talks about blessed are those who are poor in spirit. That just means that you need God. You are needy for his presence and his power in your life. Blessed are those who mourn, the meek. He goes on, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are merciful, those who are pure in heart, those who are peacemakers. Blessed are all these people and what we should all be aspiring to. And Jesus establishes part of the foundation of following him with these characteristics, even though they're, they're, they're not the easiest to implement, everybody there would have said, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, that, that, that seems, man, I, I want to be, be, be a peace giver. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes, I want to be meek. I, I don't want to be arrogant and proud. Yeah, I want to I be hungry and thirsty for righteousness. And everybody there would have agreed with these things. And they would have said, okay, all those, it might not be the easiest to do. We, we agree with all 
of these things. And that's where he starts. But then he quickly moves to behaviors and ways of doing life that are completely countercultural. Everybody would have agreed with these. Every, Jesus would have been getting some amens. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Amen. Blessed are the merciful. Amen. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. Amen. Yo, blessed are, amen. He would have been getting some amens. But then the, the, the second part, he wouldn't have been getting the amens. Because he, he quickly moves to say, let me tell you something. It's a little bit different than you've heard. You know, you have heard before, don't commit adultery. But I tell you that if you look upon a woman with lust in your heart, you have already committed the sin of adultery. Jesus goes on and he says, um, uh, you have heard do not murder, but what I'm telling you is do not hate your brother because if you hate your brother or you hate your sister, you are already guilty of the sin of murder. He says, you have heard an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Jesus says, but what I'm telling you now is I'm telling you to love your enemy and to pray for those who persecute you. He goes on and he talks about giving to the needy without the qualification or the processes of, but do they really deserve it? And are, are they from the right family? And have they gone through all the proper channels? He just says, no, I just want you to give to those people that are in need. And then he gets into prayer and fasting. And he says, I want you to, I want you to go behind the closed door and I want you to pray. And your father's going to see you there and he's going to give you what you need. And he says, when you fast, I don't, I don't want you coming out with your face all downcast and letting everybody know, oh, that person must be fasting for the Lord. He said, I want you to wash your face and I want you to come out joyful and smiling and happy about life and your father's gonna see what you do in secret and he's gonna reward you for it. But, but, but wait a minute, Whoa. This, is not, this is not our current custom. Wait a minute, this is not how we are currently doing life right now. And then Jesus didn't stop there and he says, I, let me go one more step further. I don't want you to worry about anything. I don't want you to worry. There should be no worry in your life whatsoever. He just says, and on top of that, I want you to be the salt of the earth. I want you to be the light of the world. Jesus started getting the amens, but whenever he finished, people were just confused. I, I don't understand what he's talking about right now because this isn't our culture and this isn't how we were raised and this is not like anything that I have ever heard before. You see, life wouldn't look anything like it used to look and life would not be like anything that they had ever seen. Why? Because they were hearing about different foundation stones. And there was a transition that was happening as Jesus was teaching. They were transitioning from living by rules to living by relationship. And Jesus said, it's not going to be like it used to be. When you followed the law, now you're going to begin to live by the Spirit. It's not going to be like it used to be when you obeyed this, these certain commands. Now there's going to be a new rule and a new law and a new way of following me. And this is what it is going to look like over here. He was building a brand new building. It was a construction process underway. And we see Paul as he talks about what that new construction ought to look like. He says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves in Galatians chapter 5. Then the sinful nature, uh, excuse me, the sinful nature wants to do evil, 
which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants, and the Spirit gives us the desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. So Paul begins to talk about this struggle. He's breaking it down for us. Jesus started it on the Sermon on the Mount, and Paul is now continuing on saying, hey, I know this way that I'm talking about living. It is countercultural. It is not anything that has, has been the norm around here, but I want you to know there is a different way of living, and it fights against the flesh, and it fights against, uh, against tradition, but if you will be willing to transition away from the tradition, then you can step into a spirit-led life that will take you to the place that God is desiring for you to go. And he says here, so, so, so when you understand that these forces are fighting against each other, he says there in verse, in verse 17, he says uh, they're fighting against each other so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Fighting against each other so, so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. You know, we, we, we have good intentions. We always have good intentions. Especially in January, our intentions are the best. We always have good intentions, but he says you need to know that you're fighting against, and so you're not free to carry out those good intentions. He, he didn't say that you couldn't carry them out. He just said it won't be easy. You're not just going to be free. It's not just going to be an easy stroll to carry out the things of the Spirit and to walk in this new relationship and to walk away from the law and the rules and to begin to engage this life of the Spirit and, and living according to this, this new rule and this new order that Jesus was establishing in this thing that he was building right here. And so he says, hey, you're not going to be free to do this, but let me just tell you what it looks like. If you can ever break away from this and you can step into this, the things that are going to begin to produce in your life will not be produced over here. And that's love, and it's joy, and it's peace, and it's patience, and it's kindness, and it's goodness, and it's faithfulness, and it's self-control. And it's all of these wonderful things over here that you get to experience. But all of these things come after the construction process. You know, if we were honest, construction never happens as fast as we want it to. Especially if it's like your favorite restaurant being built on your side of town. Or you drive by that restaurant, and you just think, my God, is it, I mean, is this the 2020 project? You know what I mean? Like, when are they going to let me get in there and eat my favorite food? And it just seems like forever, or even longer if it's your house. you like, the dirt work, and you're like, you know, it's like week three, and they're still, you know, combing the dirt over back and forth. And it's the foundation, and it takes forever. But can I tell you that things that you can build fast don't last Things that you can build fast don't last. I can put my kids' little playhouse together in an afternoon, but can I tell you, whenever the high winds come, that house is not going to make it, but the house that I'm living in that took months to build is going to be just fine. Why? Because things that are built fast do not last. And we want it to be built fast, but in the end, you don't want it to be built fast. 
You only want it fast now because we're conditioned to want what we want in the moment. But if you understand the process of time that it takes to build something that will last, whenever the storm comes, you'll be thinking, man, I'm so glad that my relationship with Jesus wasn't fast. I'm so glad that my faith wasn't fast. I'm so glad that I'm built on a firm foundation. And it took a long time to get here, but this storm is not going to knock me over. And it, it's especially not fast whenever you're building something you've never built before. We know when you're doing anything for the first time, it takes longer. It takes longer whenever you're doing anything for the first time. It takes longer, and when you're doing it for the first time, which every single one of us are doing, nobody has any experience of building the life of faith. You are building as you go. You are figuring out answers as you go. You are getting revelation about God as you go. You have never done this before. You are not reincarnated with 20 years, uh, 20 lifetimes of experience, and you come back and go, man, I know how this faith thing works. This is how it works. No, that's not how it is. So it takes a little bit longer, but that's okay if it takes a little bit longer because if it takes a little bit longer and it is, and is a firm foundation that you're going to last through anything. Jesus is talking in Matthew 21, and Jesus says to the crowd, he says, have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Speaking of himself right here, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. The stone that the builders rejected, Jesus is talking about the Pharisees. He's talking about the religious leaders. You are the builders and you have rejected me. I have come as the Messiah, as the son of the living God. I have come here as the promised one. I have come. I am the hope and the salvation of Israel. I am the hope and the salvation of God's people. And here I am, but I am the stone that you builders rejected. But isn't it interesting what Solomon said in Psalm 127? He says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. What Jesus was saying is what you are building right now, you builders, you're not building the kingdom of God. What you're building right now is your own thing. That's why you love to stand out on the street corner and you love to pray your long prayers because you just want people to hear you pray. That's why whenever you fast, you want to drag around and everybody go, oh, you must be fasting. You're so holy and you're so spiritual. That's why whenever you give, you take your money down there and you make sure everybody sees how much you're giving whenever you drop it in. And he says, you are the builders that have rejected the very cornerstone because you you are, you are laboring in vain because the Lord is not building this house. But there will be a people that say, no, the Lord is going to build this house and I will be their cornerstone and they will build their life on me. And when they begin to build their life on me, they will see fruit come into play in their life like never before. That's, that's what it looks like to be under construction. It's a phase. 
It's a phase. It's a lifetime phase. It's the phase of construction. That God is building us, teaching us that, you know what, man, what I learned, uh, you know, what I learned here in, in my home, what I learned in my school, what I learned, it's being challenged by the teaching of Jesus. What I learned on my television, it's being challenged over here by the teaching of Jesus. What I thought was a good, firm foundation, I realized that somebody else was building their own thing when they taught me that. And now I'm looking over here and I'm like, oh no, Jesus, you are building another foundation, another truth for me to stand on, another way of life for me to stand on. And I will make Jesus my cornerstone because I want my life to produce fruit. The construction, it's a phase, the construction. And then we get to the next phase in phase four, and it's the commitment. The phase of commitment. Love this in John chapter 6, starting in verse 47, Jesus has got a big crowd with him right now. He says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. And everybody's saying amen. Amen, that's right, Jesus, you're the bread of life, eternal life in you. Yes, your ancestors ate man in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. Woo, that's right, Jesus, keep on preaching. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. Amen, Jesus, keep it coming. And this bread, which, will offer, which I will offer so the world may live, is my flesh. Huh? Then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked. So Jesus said again, I'll tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and I was going to take it one step further, and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. See, at the beginning of John chapter 6, Jesus was feeding 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish, and it was exciting. In John chapter 5, right before, Jesus was doing miracles and he was healing the sick and it was exciting and the crowd had gathered and the followers were behind him because it's easier to commit to a miracle worker than it is a master. It's easier to commit to the Savior side of Jesus than it is to the Lordship side of Jesus. But the miracle worker is the master, and the Savior is the Lord. And you don't get one side and not the other. And whenever these people showed up, Jesus said, I know why you came over here, because you just saw me do a miracle, and I filled up your belly with supernatural food, and you were satisfied, and you came back over here to see me do another trick. Well, let me tell you what it is if you want to follow me. I'm not giving you any more bread, and you're not getting any more fish. If you want to hang with me, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Hello, somebody. (laughs) Commitment. Charles Stanley said this. Too many Christians have a commitment of convenience. 
They'll stay faithful as long as it's safe. And it doesn't involve risk, rejection, or criticism. Instead of standing alone in the face of challenge or temptation, they check to see which way their friends are going. It's easy to be faithful when he's doing miracles. Woo, I'm in the crowd. That's my man right there, 5,000. Did you, oh, did you see that lame person? <laughs> they, they dancing now. Woo, I'm, with, I'm with this guy right here. As long as it's convenient, it's easy to stay faithful. But then Jesus stops dropping some real truth. He says, no, if you want to be a part of me, then you're going to have to go deeper than that. You're going to have to go beyond that. We started talking about the first phase of counting the cost. You see, you count the cost in the beginning, but commitment is you paying the price. I've already counted the cost. I know what it is going to take, but let me tell you, it's different knowing what it's going to take than whenever you have to pay that price. It's different when I understand you telling me what I'm going to have to go through and I'm willing to commit. I'm going to say, okay, I understand what boot camp is going to be like and I'm still going to sign up for the military. I know the price that I'm going to take and I'm going to, I'm going to commit to it. I'm, I'm going to do that. But let me tell you, when you, what commitment is, is commitment is actually paying the price when you're in the middle of boot camp. That's what commitment is. It, it, it's not standing at the altar and saying I do and understanding that, okay, I, I'm, I'm, willing to, I, I'm willing to count the cost in sickness and in health and, and, and all the other things that you say. I understand what that is. I'm, I'm going to count that cost, but you see, commitment is when you actually pay the price. Rory, Rory Vaden, he's an author and a speaker. He said, success isn't owned, it's rented. And the rent is due every day. He stole that from Jesus. <laughs> because with Jesus, that's what commitment is all about. Paying the price every single day. It's about commitment. It's about will you eat my flesh and drink my blood today? Will you stay submitted to me when it's not easy? Will you stay submitted to me whenever it's difficult? Will you stay submitted to me when you don't know what's next? Will you eat my flesh and drink my blood? You said you would count the cost, and I'm glad you decided to follow, but now's the time for you to pay up. It's commitment. It's the phase of following Jesus. And then we move quickly into the fifth phase, and it is the confrontation. We're staying right there in the same story. It's just the very next verse there in John 6, verse 60. It says, many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. So he said to them, does this offend you? then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you, they are spirit and they are life. But some of you do not believe me, for Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe and who would betray him. Then he said, that is why I said to the people, can't, this is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. 
Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, Are you also going to leave? And Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. See, after the commitment, there is the confrontation. And the confrontation always happens the tougher that the commitment gets. The inner dialogue begins and it starts saying, is this really worth it? How is this going to end? And even his followers there, it says his, many of his disciples, and when it said that in verse 60, it's not talking about the 12. The 12, was, is, is, there's a clear distinction there down in verse 67 when he speaks to the 12. But at the top, it's talking about his disciples at large, those who had decided to follow him. And they said this in verse 60, this is very hard. This is very hard. And it's almost as if they were surprised. This is very hard. Following Jesus is very hard. It's like they missed some of the other memos that Jesus had sent out. It's like they, they had not been following him on Twitter and Instagram when he's talking about carrying your cross. Like they missed, they missed those posts and they said, wow, this is, this is really, this is really hard. This is really, can I just tell you, whenever you're tempted to say, wow, this is really hard, you should just slap yourself in the face and say, you should expect that. You should expect it to be difficult. You should expect it to be hard. You should not expect it to be smooth and easy all the time because Jesus did not tell us that it would be that way. Then they said this. They, they asked this question. They said, oh, this is hard. It's hard for us to understand. And then they said this. How can anyone accept it? How can anyone accept it? That's not the right question to ask. The right question to ask is, can I accept it? Because I'm not going to ask, can somebody else accept it? Because I'm not going to place the blame on somebody else for accepting something that then I can't follow through with. And I'm not going to, and I'm not, going to not accept something and let them have the power and the responsibility for me not moving into the calling and the destiny and purpose of God because they weren't willing to accept what Jesus was saying. It's not how, who, who else can accept it. It's about can I accept it? They were asking the wrong question. And the confrontation, the confrontation in your life, it must always be about you and him, never him and them. The confrontation, it's always got to be about you and him. Whew. And this is, it's not easy. This wasn't what I was expecting right now. My faith is being challenged right now. My courage is being challenged right now. My peace is being challenged right now. Things in my life are being, I'm being challenged right now in a way that I was not expecting or anticipating maybe being challenged. And in that moment, I can't look to what do you say about this? Tell me, do you have what it takes to make it through this? It's all about you and him. Never make it about him and them. Because if you make it about him and them, you won't like where you end up. And then 
you have to blame them for where you are because it was them that made the decision for you. It's not about them, it's about you. The confrontation must always be internal and never external. It is about what God is saying and challenging for me to do, and it's about my response. Look at Peter just for a moment before we move on. Simon Peter, he had, he had his first confrontation there by the fire after they had come and arrested Jesus, and they had taken Jesus away, and, and Peter was there in the courtyard uh, after Jesus had been arrested and is about to be crucified, and, and the, the, the lady comes up to him and says, ah, I recognize you, you're, you're, you're one of the Galileans, you're with Jesus, you're one of his, he said, no, 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 I, I, you got the wrong guy, I don't know him. Confrontation. Something happening. There was an inner dialogue that said, ooh, this might not turn out good for me. It was a confrontation. Now, now, now let's just keep this in mind. This is the same man who just made a commitment. <laughs> who just made a commitment. I mean, just, 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 just right before this happened, he, said, he looked in Jesus' eye and said, Jesus, I am with you to the end. If you die, I die. You go to jail, I go to jail. You get beat, I get beat. I am with you no matter what. I will never deny you. Commitment was thrown out there, but then there was a confrontation. And the confrontation on the inside said, I don't like what's going on right now. Now I don't feel good about this. And then they came up the second time, and now it's, you're one of them. I, I know, I know you are one of his followers, and Peter has the second chance of this confrontation, and he says, ah, you got the wrong guy. I'm actually right around the corner. I stay right here in Jerusalem. I'm, I'm a local, you know. I, I, I'm not Galilee, no, no, no. I'm, I'm right here. This is my hometown, Jerusalem, you know what I mean? I mean Peter's like doing everything he can. I don't even know what this is, but it, it felt good, so I just went with it right there. Then they come back for a third time. They said, ah, you are one of Jesus' tribe, I, I've seen you with him. And the Bible says that Peter took it a step further, and this time he didn't, just didn't say, no, I don't know him. The Bible says that he cursed Jesus, cursed him, this inner confrontation. You see, you'll do some things that you didn't think you would do whenever you're presented with confrontation. You might have made your commitment. Well, you're not the first one to make a commitment and then deal with confrontation. This inner dialogue, this, it's a phase of following Jesus. It's a phase of following Jesus. We have all been there. And whenever you fail in the moment of your confrontation, don't give up. God's not through with you. God knew when you made your commitment that you were full of it. Peter said, I'm with you to the end. Jesus said, yeah, before the rooster crows tomorrow, you're going to deny me three times. I know how this thing's going to go down. God knows. I'm not saying don't make your commitments, but I'm just saying understand that there's a confrontation coming. And when you fail in the confrontation, don't quit, don't give up. Get back up like Peter did. Because there was another moment of confrontation just a few 
chapters later when you move from John into the book of Acts and he's in the book of Acts and he's doing miracles and he's called before the religious council. He's called before the rulers and they said, ah, you can't speak in the name of Jesus anymore. And if you speak in that name, we're going to throw you in jail and we're going to beat you. And he says, I'm so sorry, but I can't obey you. I've got to obey God. And any consequence you want to give me, I'm willing to take because he took something for me. You see, he was dealing with the same inner dialogue, but he learned a lesson around the campfire that he was taking now into this place in his life. And he said, I learned a lesson back there and it's making me stronger right now. And I have a confrontation, but I'm not giving into that confrontation. I'm going to overcome that confrontation this time. It's just a phase that we go through. You learn through the phase of confrontation, through your failures and through your successes. You learn. It's a season. It's a phase of following Jesus. And, and then we move on to the sixth phase. The sixth phase is the commission. The commission it's in Matthew 28, verse 18. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples. This is after Jesus has been resurrected and he comes back to his disciples. And he says, I, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, something happens whenever you begin to understand that you have not been called just to receive Jesus. You've been called to represent Jesus. You haven't been called just to receive Jesus. You have been called to represent Jesus, to be his spokesperson, to be his ambassador, to be his representative on the earth. And we have a mission. And can I tell you what the mission requires? The mission requires movement. The mission requires movement. Jesus started off by saying, go, go. The first place you have to leave is your comfort zone. <laughs> In this commission, the first place you got to leave is the comfortable place of your current existence and your current life. If you are going to fulfill the commission, the mission of God, it requires movement. You've got to go, and I've got to leave the comfort zone of my life. And we say it around here all the time, but if you are going to follow Jesus, you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Because that's what it's like to follow Jesus. It is uncomfortable, and we have to get comfortable with the thought of being uncomfortable. So when you start talking about this mission and this plan and this purpose and this movement, people say, but, but, but I'm, just, I'm just not sure what, where I'm supposed to go. I, you know, I, I haven't taken my spiritual gifts test yet. I, I, don't, I don't really know where my strengths really are in the church. I, I, don't really know, I, I don't really know if I'm walking in my true divine calling. Can I just tell you this? If you aren't going anywhere, you'll never get there. Just go somewhere. Go somewhere and you'll eventually get there. If you just start moving, sign up for a team. I, you know, just sign up. Just sign up and say, man, I'm just going to serve with the greeters. I've never greeted anybody in my life, but I'm just going to sign up for the greeters. 
I've never waved a flag out there in the parking lot. But I'm going to get out there and I'm going to give it my best try. I have never been involved in kids' ministry before. But I, I'm just going to sign up because I'm just going to go. And you say, but I'm not sure if that's really my calling. I'm not really sure if that's what God created me to do. I, but I can tell you one thing, just sitting there ain't going to get it done. Just move somewhere. Because it starts with just go. Just go. Just go somewhere. And you just start moving. You know, it's a whole lot easier for God to guide a, a, a person that's on the move. It's so much harder to get somebody just sitting there to move. It's so hard. I mean, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, everybody's pushing to get somebody to move. But whenever you're moving and you're looking for your mission and you're looking and you're searching and you're seeking and you're moving and you want to be a blessing and you want to encourage and you want to serve and you want to say yes to God and you're just on the movement, it's so easy for the Holy Spirit just to guide you along the way. What you have to go. He saved you to send you and not just to sit with you. He wants you to move. And we call this the Great Commission. That's what we call it, the Great Commission. And you know me, I just love playing around with words. But commission, the C-O is a prefix that means together or mutual. You don't have to go on this mission alone. God wants to go on the mission with you. You don't have to go at it by yourself. He wants to go with you. This is the great co-mission. You don't have to go alone, but guess what you do have to do? You do have to go because it can't be a co-mission with God moving and you sitting. It ain't co, it ain't mutual, it ain't together, it's not a team. But if you want to be a part of the co-mission, you start moving, and it's amazing that God just moves right there with you, and you step in, you say, man, I never thought I could do this, I don't even know how I'm doing it, because it's a co-mission. God is helping you. Let's move on. Here's the last phase, the last phase of following Jesus, and that is the culmination the culmination. John 3.16, Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That you shall not perish. That you shall never be separated from God. That's what he says. That you would never have to be apart from God. You would never have to perish, but you could have eternal life, that you would step from this life into eternal life, that you would receive the promise of the prize that is waiting for you in heaven. Then in John 10, 10, Jesus says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that they, being you, may have and enjoy life, that they might have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. 
You see, you don't have to wait to experience life. Because before we get to eternal life, we have access to abundant life. You don't have to just sit back and wait to experience the life of God in eternity. No, you can experience abundant life right now. And whenever you hear the word culmination, that's what I thought whenever I first wrote that word down. When I wrote that word down the first time, I thought culmination, this is the end. And there is, there is a definition of culmination that is, it is the end. It's over. That's eternal life. When this life is over, then the end of this life, it is eternity. But there's another definition for culmination. And it is complete or climax. And I thought, wow, the culmination of following Jesus. It is the climax when we realize that we have access to everything that is in him. This is the phase of following Jesus. When there is a completeness in your life, when you begin to understand that, wow, I have access to all of his joy and all of his peace and all of his power and his strength and his grace and his courage and his wisdom and his knowledge and his love and his endurance and his patience and his favor. And I have access to every bit of it. That is the climax. It is the culmination of life because from that moment on, you can never live like like you used to live because from that moment on you realize there is a power that is flowing inside of you that can do things that nothing else you ever experienced could ever do that's the culmination you say wow this is the abundant life me in Christ and Jesus in me the phase of following Jesus changes everything I'm not working for my own joy. Because Jesus said, my joy I give to you so that your joy might be complete. Because your joy is never going to be enough. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to give you a measure of peace. I'm going to give you a little bit of peace. He said, my peace is what I'm going to give you. Can I just remind you what his peace looked like in the middle of a storm, in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and he, he, he just stood up in a boat in the, in, in the waves and the wind and the rain, and he said, peace. He said, that's the peace I'm giving you, that, that, that kind of peace. The kind of love that you have access to is it's unconditional. It's unconditional love. The favor that's on your life, Oh, that, that, didn't, that didn't come from you. That's because the favor was on me. And now I'm in you. And once you realize that, it is the climax. It is the completeness. It is the totality of following Jesus that I am no longer operating on my own skills and on my own stuff, but I am operating with the flow of the supernatural in my life. I am flowing with things that Jesus flowed with because he is in me and he came so that I could be activated on the earth to fulfill his purpose and to advance the kingdom of God on the earth. That's why he came. And whenever you begin to understand that, that is the culmination. That's the climax of following Jesus. 
phases of following Jesus, there's a cost. You need to know there's a cost. You need to know that it's going to take courage. Courage to get out and courage to step in. You got to know that there's going to be a construction phase. She's going to have to do some building. He might even have to do some demo work before he starts building what he wants to build. Because you've built your own thing and your own ideas. And Jesus comes in and says, no, no, no. Either I am the cornerstone or I am no stone. I'm not the steeple on the top of your building. The construction process takes longer than you want it to. It's frustrating, challenging. But Jesus is building a new foundation with him being the cornerstone. There's the commitment. Say, what what am I really willing to do? I mean, let's get down to it. It's not just the miracle worker that I'm going after. It's the master. It's not just the fact that he saves me from my sin. It's the fact that he wants to be Lord of my life. Then comes that confrontation, the internal dialogue with myself. When I'm confronted with opportunities to take a step back, opportunities to slide to the left or slide to the right because it's getting a little uncomfortable and it's that that confrontation on the inside of us that all of us experience. What do we do with that confrontation? We can use it as a phase of following Jesus to make us more like Jesus in the end. What are you doing with the commission? What are you doing with the mission that God has put on your life? Mission to be a blessing. A mission to serve, a mission to encourage, a mission to build, a mission to pray, a mission to worship, a mission to lead others, a a, a mission to connect other people to him and his presence. What are you doing with the commission? What are you doing with that phase? And what are you doing with the culmination? Not talking about eternity because we're not there. But what about the culmination of the abundant life? Have we reached the climax and the completeness of understanding that I have access to him? I have access to everything that was in Jesus because his spirit is in me. And because he is in me, he gets to flow through me and together we get to do great things. I want you to stand with me and bow your heads tonight. The phases of following Jesus, there are no exceptions. There are no ways to clep out of any of these phases. There's no way to skip over them. Everyone's confronted with the cost. Everyone has to pay the same cost. It's everything. It's everything. Everyone has 